0: From baseball's top personalities... The great Chris Russo joins us once again. ...to the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman. with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear.
2: If you make your way down here, I I might be able to make some time and go out there and
3: see the great Chris Townsend. This
0: This? is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. What do we have on tap for you today? Well, we're going to hear from Mr. Perfect. Dallas Braden, the man who tossed the 19th perfect game on Mother's Day. Uh, We're going to relive that with Dallas. Obviously, that was one of the special days in Oakland A's history. We'll talk to the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey, and then the voice of the stadium, PA announcer, Dick Callahan. But I will never forget that day, Mother's Day, when Dallas Braden threw that perfect game. And... I remember the postgame show. We went for like three hours and my wife's texting me. You got to get off the air. We got to do Mother's Day with my mother. And it was like, I, I, I got to take these calls. Guy just threw a perfect game. Well, they replayed the perfect game on NBC, California. And we got a chance to talk to Dallas about that day and that special moment for him and his family. Dallas, how are we doing? How's the family?
3: Uncle Townie, I am well. I hope you and the family are doing all right as well. Uh, We're just kind of hanging out, man, Um, and talking baseball, which is always a good thing.
0: Yeah, this was – and I applaud Dave Cavill, our president. He was like, you guys got to get back on the air. People are cooped up in their houses. They want something to feel good about. They want baseball. They want to hear baseball, and that's why the show, we're back on. We're going to be on every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 3 to give you a release. And then, of course, tomorrow, the replay – have you ever gone back and watched this game before?
3: No. No, uh, no, I've seen I've seen at bats right, and I've seen I've seen highlights. I've kind of gone over highlights and stuff, but I have never, and I don't know that I could ever sit down and take in that game again. I, I don't know that I have the emotional capacity. If I'm being totally honest, uh, there there's just that's a. It's really great for me to be able to enjoy the game the way I do through the lens of the fans. Um, and, and that's what's really important to me is is being able to open up and, and take in so many different stories and perspectives of that game. And, and really, that game kind of transcends and becomes, for me, insight what sport can mean to a human being, to a family unit, to a friend circle, to, to just, in my opinion, the American spirit in general and county. You you just nailed it when you talked about Dave Cavill having a feel and understanding that these kind of conversations, they they just help. Whether you want to say they have to happen, they need to happen, they just help. And, And being able to share that moment with fans and really, you know, if I'm being honest, being a baby and not being able to watch it again, for me, that helps.
0: Yeah, I remember doing the post game show that day. It's Mother's Day, and I remember getting texts from my wife because so many people called in, so many people wanted to talk about it. I went on for like three hours, and I remember my wife going, "We have to go to my mother's for my..." And I'm like, "I can't, I can't. <laughs> people are too excited, and uh, it, it was it was so emotional because you lost your mother. Your grandmother was there. It's Mother's Day." Can you take us back what it was like after the game for you and your family?
3: Well, after the game was very, you know, um, it's kind of anticlimactic when you when, when I say it when I when I speak about it because there there was no huge celebration. There was no, we we legitimately went home, ordered a pizza, and just kind of had some had some beers and really appreciated. What had just happened, because I you know for for anybody who has lost somebody and you deal with their birthday a anniversary, whatever memory that comes along on that physical calendar it 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 can just be a uh, it can be a gut wrencher you know and and for myself and for my grandmother and and really it kind of trickled into our friends and family network because we were just reclusive in that time frame and come mother's day during the year we were not people you wanted to be around because and 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 that's terrible to say but i mean it just was our reality mother's day was a day that we if we could have we would have ran from and it's almost like that was the only way we were going to be able to cope with the struggle and the loss that we were dealing with and it was kind of like our life had put on been put on pause up until that moment, up until that day. And it was like, it was just kind of like taking that, that bath and being cleansed of all of the, you know, I mean, if I'm being completely honest and candid, all of the depression and all of the, you know, anxious thoughts you have about why you're doing what you're doing. Is it ever going to be enough? Am I going to be able to take care of my grandmother? And and then that day kind of, you know, put a period and was able to close the chapter of those thoughts.
0: All right, so you go back home, you have pizza, you're drinking some beers, and the next thing you know, everybody wants to talk to you and your grandmother. Good morning, America. Every, like, like, What was it yeah. like when all of a sudden everybody wants to put you on these national TV shows?
3: Well, it was, I mean... You know, I have I've never really had an issue sitting down and, and talking to people. Uh, you know, you and I could probably sit and talk about paint drying for an hour and breeze <laughs> right through that, Townie. Um but but it was it was just for me it was great because I felt like, you know, our, our team and our organization was gonna get some shine, was gonna get some love. Um I was gonna be able to talk about, you know, the as I jokingly say, there were more there that day, I know, but you know, the fifteen hundred fans who were all in attendance, who all drove in the same BART card of the game together, you know, uh, I, I was I was going to be able to kind of put that on a national stage, and that was what was really cool, because I'm doing the interviews, and I'm in my big league uniform, you know, and, I'm, and, and, and that's what's cool, I'm doing David Letterman, and one of the, I mean, the absolute coolest thing about sitting down and talking with David Letterman was sitting down in the ballpark in Arlington, and having Michael Young, an opponent that I have the utmost respect for, walking by, you know, like Took his hat off and shook my hand and gave me and was like, "Hey, man, outstanding! Like, congratulate!" And I was just like, "Uh, uh, you know, like, like almost starstruck by my opponent, but just because of the amount of respect I had for him." And here he was acknowledging me. So that's incredible. It's an incredible ride to go on. And I mean, you know, I, I still, I think I still struggle to realize that my feet have not firmly hit the ground since that day.
0: Well, and I think it is a day that really bonded you with this fan base and this fan base. You know, they voted for you to be top 100. They absolutely love you. There is a special relationship that you have with the Oakland A's fan base that's really, really special.
3: Well, I I appreciate – I think I appreciate and I understand the plight of the baseball fan, but in our neighborhoods and in our economies – What I know and what I've heard and what I kind of understand and I can speak candidly about is I have absolutely been where our fan base comes from. The struggles they've gone through, I've been there as well. I've gone through those struggles. I know exactly what the game of baseball in our neighborhoods can do for folks, and I understand the passion. Like These are people who, who grind and work their butts off, County, to be able to come to a place that the rest of the major leagues scoffs at and it's a place they wrap their arms around just like they do the entire organization. And to be able to connect with those people and to have those people allow you to perform in front of them, that's how I process it. Because they can spend their hard earned money on absolutely anything they want. And they're choosing to come to the ball game, which means somehow, some way I get a paycheck, but they're really allowing me to play in front of them. And understanding that and appreciating that can go so far. And, and that's why I will always, always, always have the time for people who spend their hard earned money in those neighborhoods under those circumstances and come out and support what we're doing. Watch one of us be able to live out a dream. And, you know, for two, three, four hours a day, they're right there living it with us. You got you gotta love that i don't know how you don't
0: 109 pitches 77 were strikes and Tampa was a really good lineup they had some really good players yeah they were
3: they, they weren't they weren't a bad club I mean I believe if I'm if I'm not mistaken they won almost i think they won almost 100 ball games that year um I mean like really from the top of the lineup all the way through it was like oh my god I mean you were talking Bartlett, Jason Bartlett, Crawford, uh, Zobrist, I think, Longoria, Pena, Upton. Um, uh, I want to say Eric Ibar or Navarro or the other way around, I think. And then I think it was Kapler at the bottom of the line. I mean, all the way through that lineup, you've got like pro hitters, pro approaches. And th- th- that's why that's why I chuckle when I, when I just think about it because like me and my stuff, Against that kind of lineup at that time, like you know, you're you're praying for the quality start. Can I get six? Let's keep them. Let's keep the crooked numbers, you know, to a minimum, and let's hope our boys got a chance to get to their big guy at the time, James Shields. So, I mean, you know, doing your homework and preparing for what was coming, you knew what the task at hand was, or at least I knew what the task at hand was. And you know, when that team steps on the field, you better be bringing your lunch pail.
0: And the guy who caught you, Landon Powell, what's what what's he doing now and how's he doing?
3: Uh he's just dominating
0: over in uh
3: North Greenville uh university, I believe. <clears throat> he's uh he's put together a heck of a program out there. Um and I mean he's a head coach enjoying enjoying the uh, retired life. But if you're a ball player, if you're a lifer, you're never retired, right? You just kind of changing uh changing roles and changing unis throughout the year. So that's what he's doing, and he's, he's – uh, I mean, I couldn't be happier for him, Man, he's right where he needs to be, on a ball field with his beautiful family around him.
0: Scott Emerson told me one time about you when he had you in the minor leagues. He said Dallas was so accurate that at times he wanted you just to throw balls so you weren't always in the strike zone. I, I mean, talk about your relationship with Emo. We know what a great pitching coach he is, but but your guys' relationship, you guys are still pretty tight.
3: Yes, Emo Emo was an incredible mentor for me just because of the way he goes about his business in the film room, in the study hall, and you know, that's where that's how I was able to get to where I got. That's how I was able to, you know, stick around for a little bit was just because I was trying to figure out the ins and outs, the X's and the O's and he really provided me a firsthand look at what that can do for you because I was the guy calling him in a ball, telling him, I want, you know, I want these scouting reports. He's getting video. He's having our clubhouse guy, other pitchers take video of hitters. We're getting scouting reports from our advanced guys on the road. He's color coordinating, you know, counts and sequences and putting together their success rates because this is stuff that, that I wanted to look at. I wanted to know he had the information already, And and when you find somebody that you're able to sort of, you know, when you find that dance partner, you know, you you just know. And I can't look at emo without knowing we are about to get real deep into a conversation about the art. And that's what excited me about showing up to the yard every day with him. But yeah, I mean, there were times and, and, and he's right. And this is not, you know, I'm not trying to brag at all, but there were points where he would say, all right, you can, you can throw a strike at will. Now we're going to learn to command.
0: Ah, it's great having Dallas Braden around. He is a, a truly a super guy, and it's uh, great to have him part of the broadcast team with the Oakland Athletics. Well, as we say all the time, he's the face of the franchise. We bring him on every single Wednesday on A's Cast Live. Here is Ray Fossey. Hit it. Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one
1: thing: it's time for thirty uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on
0: NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. <laughs> What's up, How are Ray? You county, I'm oh, doing good. How are you? Yeah, I'm, you're talking about Big Mac? Yeah, we, when we did the interview with him, I, I, it really it made me realize after we did the interview and a lot of people reached out and went, that was great. You know, for some of the younger A's fans, that's like the first time they've ever heard him talk.
1: Well, I'll say this, Tony. I had the opportunity, the pleasure of seeing every one of his 363 home runs hit as a member of the athletics. And I I, I would never leave the broadcast booth, whether it was radio, TV, obviously just he came to hit. I would never, I, I had probably more luxury to leave the booth on radio than TV, but, but I was just waiting for that magical time when fastball connecting, and it happened in Seattle against Randy Johnson. A ball was hit, and it was like a, a, a rifle, it came off the bat. And that was before exit velocities were really talked about. They talked more about different things, and all of a sudden, this, this number comes up 110 miles per hour. And I'm saying, Randy threw it that hard. He said, "No, that's off the bat of McGuire. That was, you know, obviously back at the old Kingdom. But I swear, Tony, if there had not been a roof on the Kingdom, that ball maybe still be going because it was a shot. And Mac, Mac never ever showed up anybody. He would round, he rounded the bases, kept his head down. He got back into the dugout. He ran it at the old Kingdom. They had a, a flat dugout basically, and you could just walk through a door back to the clubhouse. Well, Mac rounded the bases, went through. Went through that door, and when he finally came back out in the dugout, Randy Johnson looked over at him, tipped his hat to him, saying, you got me. I mean, that was so classic. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. But, I mean, that was one of those that was just a perfect, perfect swing and a great fastball by Randy Johnson. And all of a sudden, this home run just took off, and I said – all these times that I've waited and never left the booth, I finally it paid off, and I got a chance to see that. But nicest guy in the world, and you know he's, he's probably misunderstood. If I could tell quickly, um, we were in Cleveland, and he hit the scoreboard, Tony, and, and Cleveland stayed in the current stadium now. He hit the scoreboard. It was the longest shot, uh, or Hershey it threw the pitch, and Mac hit it. And you know, Big John Adams with his drum sits underneath the scoreboard. it hit right above him. And it was the longest shot we'd ever seen. Well, you know, after the game, you know, we wanted to have him on, and he turned us down, and I said something to him in the clubhouse. I said, why'd you turn us down? He said, I didn't want to talk about myself. And I said, I know that. He said, but, you know, you hit a monumental home run like that. We can talk about a lot of things. We don't have to talk about you. But that's the way he was. He would never, ever want to talk about himself. He'd want to talk about the team, his teammates, whomever, but never about himself. And obviously I knew that. So whenever I did interview him, it was about something – Nothing ever about him. It was about whatever uh, the subject might be. I, I, don't, I can't even remember. I have the interviews that I did with him, but they were never, ever anything to do about Mark McGuire, this great slugger.
0: You know, you think about that USC team where Randy Johnson yeah. and Mark McGuire, are college teammates, the catcher yeah. was Jack Del Rio, former Raiders head coach, longtime <laughs> linebacker. And I, and I used to do the TV show with Jack Del Rio. And I asked him one time, I'm like, what was it like catching Randy Johnson in college? And he goes, it was really scary because he threw so hard and but no one knew the umpire didn't know where it was going randy didn't know where it was going the hitter didn't know where it was going i mean you talk about a scary at bat randy johnson in college my god
1: (laughs) well how about the bird that ran in front of him that bird found out how hard he throws but you know the the one guy the one catcher and you know how much and what i think about catchers but dave valley caught randy johnson in seattle and you know randy goes in hall of fame as a uh, arizona diamondback and it really kind of worked out great because Ken Griffey Jr. was the first to go in to the Hall of Fame as a uh, Seattle Mariner. But Randy Johnson was all over the place, like you said. But Dave Valley caught him. And he, what he did, and I've, I've said it many times, that if you force a left-hander to pitch inside, it allows him to complete the pitch. And I've seen pitchers who try to nail the outside corner and they kind of guide the ball and it tails away and it's out of the strike zone. But Dave Valley convinced Randy Johnson, first of all, to pitch inside with the fastball, more importantly, with that devastating slider that he threw to the back foot of the right-handed hitters. Nobody could touch it. And really, the full extension that Randy Johnson came up with was what really probably made him the outstanding pitcher that he turned out to be and a Hall of Famer on top of it. I will say, and you're talking about uh, McGuire, I I have to bring this up, Old Tiger Stadium, 440 feet to the base of center field 440 feet it's, it's like municipal stadium before they put the temporary fences in in cleveland but mark mcguire when he played for usc he played at tiger stadium he hit a ball in the upper deck of straightaway center field 440 feet to the base he hit it in the upper deck that's a strong man because when we went in there and when he first came up and he was hitting and i mentioned something he said yeah i played here before and then I found out that where he had hit the ball in center field. Tony, it was so massive in the outfield, at old tiger stadium that they had the, the, uh, the um, American flag, the foul uh, flagpole was in play in left center. That's how deep it was. Cause nobody ever hit it that direction. And, and they tried to do it at Comerica park and they ended up making the fences shorter because of one Gonzalez or one thought they were too far away. But, uh, but yeah, that was uh, old tiger stadium was, was quite a place with a great late early Harwell as a broadcaster, but, Big Mac. I mean, he came in 49 home runs in his rookie season, and I'll never forget being in the in the lobby of the hotel on the final day of the regular season, uh, the Sunday. The age where Komisarz going to play the White Sox. Mac sitting on 49 home runs, and I said, "Have a good day." And he said, "I will. I'm going home for the son of my bir- uh, birth of my son Matthew." He left the game. He didn't even play the game on the final day. He could have hit 50, but unselfishly, he went home to be there for the birth of his son Matthew. And he said, there's something I did. I'll never change it. And he said, I never regretted it. And, of course, uh, I think it was Aaron Judge passed him with the most home runs by a rookie. But Mark McGuire sitting on 49 and say what you want about Mac, but he left the day before the game to go home to be with his wife and his uh, birth of his son.
0: Yeah, what a what a special career he had, and he should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And it's sad that he's not in the Hall of Fame. But you know, one of the things I wanted to get into with you today is been watching a lot of these old school games, and I was watching the Bucky Dent game, and he, <laughs> he, he, here here's your, your your old pal Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson struck out more than anybody in the history of the game, but you, he's still hitting at the end of the season two seventy nine. It's amazing watching these games from the 70s and the 80s where you got even Carlton Fisk is choking up. The amount of contact and the amount of balls being put into play back then versus now, it's crazy to watch.
1: You know, you're exactly right. And, And, you know, you think of Reggie and the Mr. October label that was given to him, I saw the other day, when he hit the three home runs on three different pitch or three different pitchers and three pitches at Yankee Stadium in the World Series in the mid 70s, you know, just a phenomenal hitter in postseason. And that's what we relied on basically in, in, the, in the World Series uh, in in, October when I was with the A's in the 70s. I mean, he missed 72 because of a hamstring injury in 72 uh, League Championship Series in Detroit. He tore his hamstring, couldn't play. So he was he was hungry for for the 73 World Series. And playing the Mets, and he gets a big home run at the Coliseum. And I think it was game six or seven. I know we won both games, but just a tremendous hitter. But it was, it was, and to your point, Tony, about okay, if there's a runner in second base, let's hit a ground ball to the right side, get him over, and then hopefully somebody can get him in. You know, it was, it was textbook baseball, and, and that's why I think in 1967, Carl Yastrzemski won this, um, won the triple crown with a batting average like 301, something like that. So it's, it's something that's out of the ordinary because it is a changed game. And, you know, we have to deal with that because the launch angles and, and guys hitting home runs and striking out more. But, but I think the game uh, – and I, I'm happy to hear you say you're watching some of those, those classic games because uh, you're seeing some classic baseball players playing those games, and I think that's where the difference is. And, you know, you and I have talked about this before, that when the A's won the three consecutive World Series – it was a five-game league championship series and then the World Series. So there's none of this wild card and the division series and league championship of seven and then World Series. No, it was a five-game league championship series, and you had to win three of the five to go to the World Series. That was the difference. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's longer now. And uh, did you see the Scott Boros, I just read the headline. He said Scott Boros wants 162 games. The World Series played on Christmas Day.
0: Wow. Uh that's a, that it, it's going to it's going to have to either be in Toronto, Tampa, Houston or uh cuz you can't even guarantee California weather on Christmas day. No. No,
1: no, no. I and you know what, first of all, let's not go any farther without saying let's hope and pray that people who are affected by this coronavirus and, and you know there's a lot of things going on, but let's let's hope and pray that If they are infected, they get well, and and life can get back to normal. But the people are the most important thing right now. And, you know, we're talking baseball and some of the classic games, and we're hoping for a 2020 season and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, the the people are the most important thing right now. And I I think that's something that we really have to think about uh, and and hope and pray that they are okay. And and that's the biggest thing. So having said that and getting that uh, out, uh, yeah, the, the baseball part, it will come back. Life will resume and baseball is going to be great. But it is kind of a nostalgic type thing right now where people can, can look at some of the classic games of the past, and I, I think it's great. And, you know, I, I'd love to see uh, Willie Mays with his back to uh, the infield making that catch at the Polo grounds in the 54 World Series, you know, and uh, watch some games with your grandfather playing the World Series, you know, just, uh, just to watch him play. So it's, it's a great time. And I give the A's credit, NBC Sports California. I know that uh, they're doing some special things and uh, just trying to keep fans abreast of what's happening in these tough times, but keep baseball on their minds. And I think they're doing doing a very good job of doing that.
0: You know, they also recently showed the 1980 season and, you know, just watching the All-Star game and those great players. But I think about the the All-Star games you played in what was it like when you were catching in the All-Star game? And that's when the Na- the National League and the American League, they they didn't like each other. The game meant something. And those teams you caught against, I mean, those lineups in the National League were just full of Hall of Famers. Well, in, in the
1: 1970 game, which was my first, and, and my wife Carol and I went to Cincinnati following a doubleheader, which I caught in Cleveland on the Sunday. We went with Sam McDowell. And, and then to play in that game, and, and I, I'll never forget uh, the likes of Harmon Killebrew and Brooks Robinson and uh, uh, Jim Palmer. I'm just thinking Hall of Famers, Louis Apparicio You know, Tony, uh, Kurt Gowdy did a 30-minute uh, version of, you know, what they do and kind of the highlights of the, of the All-Star game. They did not do the typical introduction where, you know, playing shortstop Louis Apparicio and he's on the line. They showed highlights of Luis Aparicio playing shortstop, of Brooks Robinson playing third base, Uh, the late Roberto Clemente played for the National League, Willie McCovey, Mays, I mean, all these guys. And and I'm looking at this, and I'm counting the Hall of Famers. I think that in that awesome game in 1970, there were close to 20 Hall of Famers that were playing. And dig deeps, And, and, uh, you know, it's something that you learn, and I've said it before, but we're saying, again, you never assume in a game of baseball that the game is over. There are 27 outs or extra outs, whatever. if It's an extra inning game, but you can never assume it because I learned that lesson with Dick Dietz catching, because uh, that was before interleague play and all that stuff. And uh, he, he, I came up or he came up to play in the ninth inning, and uh, we were leading by score, I think, of four to one at the time. And I said, "Hey Mule," is the nickname Mule. I said, "See you in, uh, in Arizona in spring training, he hit a home run." He came around and scored. They ended up tying the game. And, of course, we played the extra innings and the rest is history. But, but you know, I learned. But, you know, to be there uh, catching the likes of the late Catfish Hunter and, and Clyde Wright, who threw the, the pitch to Jim Hickman in the 12th inning that Pete Rose uh, scored on, uh, you know, the, the line drive to center field. Um, I faced Bob Gibson Um uh, in the all-star game. I mean, these are my baseball <laughs> cards coming to life, Tony. I mean, I mean, you think about, it. I collected these baseball cards and then all of a sudden I'm on the bench with some of the guys that I collected cards with and I'm back behind the plate. And I face Gaylord Perry, hit a double down the right field line. Cause I'm stupidly up there thinking he's going to throw me a Vaseline ball. How stupid could I be? Especially when I caught him at 72, realizing you can't look for it and hit it because it's impossible. But you know, just a, just a thrill to be on that. But Tony, you know, the the thing that I remember most about an un, unfortunate ending to a 70-all-star game was watching the video of the players coming to home plate to find out how it was. Joe Torre uh, was in the National League. I mean, he won a batting championship. He came up. Uh, Joe Morgan. All these guys came up to home plate, Brooks Robinson, uh, to see how I was after that collision. and And to see that and to see them, they could care less about, The winning run scoring they were more concerned about was i okay unfortunately i wasn't but you know to see those guys coming up to the plate and 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 still seeing that that picture in my my mind right now i mean it was an it's an amazing amazing thing to think about but you know the the great history and you know you can say what you want about the current i give these players a lot of credit because i'll be honest with you i look down on the field sometimes and i'll say did i i can't believe i played this game because these players today are so talented uh, the strength they have, the endurance, uh, the speed, the velocity on the fastballs. But I'll be honest with you, I would not trade one iota, one, one minute of the time that I played, and especially guys that I played with and against in the 70s and the All-Star Game and the World Series. I mean, those are memories that will never, ever go away. And granted, the money was nothing like it is now, but money's not everything. And at the time, playing with those guys and playing against them that was what it's all about. And and that's why, you know, you can imagine, Tony. I, I when I was born, I started collecting baseball cards, and all of a sudden, these guys are coming alive. I'm going, wow, this is amazing. I've got your baseball card. I could never say it to the guy because he'd get upset with me. You know, if, if I ever brought up that I had his baseball card because he knew that I was younger than him, and they didn't like that. So uh, I, I, I ran into that and experienced it. But uh, a great time. And, and like I said, in these tough times for the world, for these people to be able to show the classic baseball games I, I think is tremendous because you know the thing about baseball town and you know as well as anybody there's a past there's a present and there's a future and what people are now getting a chance to see the past so I think it's great
0: well we did a poll on our A's cast Twitter account because I, I, I've been reading we've been doing a deep dive on shifting and we're starting to <laughs> find out that shifting doesn't work exactly as well as people try and sell it. Obviously, shifting takes away some hits, but it's also being discovered that pitchers throw less strikes when the shift's employed behind them. That means they walk more batters. More batters walked on base means more runs are being scored. So it kind of comes out in the wash. So I put it out there. Do you like shifting or not? And it was a yes or no question. And Cody is for shifting. I now, reading this evidence, I'm kind of against it because I think it creates more fly balls and strikeouts. And the voting is in, Foss. I won. More people don't want to shift than, uh, and just have basically two guys on the left side, two guys on the right. Where do you weigh in? Yeah. Yes or no on shifting?
1: Well, I, I played in an era where we didn't shift. And there was, uh, you're talking about a classic game. How about, the late Ted Williams, they shifted on him, and that was the first. That was back in the 40s. So, I mean, that was something because he pulled the ball, and the, I, the problem I see now with the shift, let's say a left-handed hitter. Instead of having an entire left side of the infield open, a whole left side open, they're trying to hit over the shift, and that's the creation of the five balls that you're talking about. You know, in the financial financial world, you hear the statement, past success does not uh, guarantee future results or our best results is not future guaranteed success in the future. Well, a lot of times with the shifts, it's based on what somebody has done. Now you, I think you should factor in who's the pitcher. How hard is he throwing? I see guys where guys throwing almost hundred miles an hour, left-handed hitter, and they've got four guys or three guys on the right side of the infield expecting to pull the ball. And I'm going, even if he knows what's coming, I don't know that he's going to pull a fastball that hard into the shift that way. So I think there's some examples where you can see. I know the A's won a game against the Blue Jays, Um, and and all I know is that there was a shift. The pitcher was throwing hard. Like I said, the hitter was was hitting balls over the third-base dugout. He couldn't get around on the fastball. Ends up hitting a ball into the hole where the shortstop normally would be playing. The shortstop had to run over, or the third baseman did, run over, get the ball, throw off balance to first base, Bang, bang, play, call, save, game over, A's win the game. And I asked John Gibbons the next day, I said, Gibby, what are you doing with this shift? And he said, well, that's what these people said that, you know, based on what has happened, they're going to pull them on the shift. But, you know, it's something that is part of the game. Uh, I agree with you. To be honest, I would rather see a pitcher turn around and look and see four guys on the infield, three in the outfield. Yeah, you might shift a little bit. But the dramatic shifts that we're seeing in the game today – Uh, I don't know that a lot of times a pitcher can pitch into the shift, And to to me, Tony, that's the key. Uh, And and Cody, hope you're doing well, Cody. But uh, I kind of think that if, if pitchers that I caught a catfish hunter, he could pitch into the stretch. In other words, he could throw a pitch that a hitter would hit it to where the shift had been employed. But I don't know that in today's world, a greater percentage of the pitchers can do that. And as a result, uh, you're getting, like you said, more walks because, Guys are trying to pitch maybe into the shift that they're not accustomed to doing. So uh, I kind of agree with you. It's something, though, that we're going to see continue in the future just because that's the analytics of the game and things that have happened. And we're going to see that. But I think some things need to be done um, to, to make sure that, first of all, who's hitting, who's pitching, you know, are they going to be able to do exactly what the defense is being set up to show and do?
0: You know you, you, you when you played there was there there was labor stoppage I mean it, it happened oh, oh. fortunately all the time uh, luckily we haven't had it since 1994 as a player when all of a sudden they say okay this is when we're restarting how long did it take you and your your teammates to to, to get ready to be able to play on an everyday basis
1: well, I'm first going to say that in 1972, I was the player representative for the Cleveland Indians. And we had a meeting in Dallas, Texas. And that was the first vote in which I had to put up my right hand, knowing that I had not one penny in the bank. And I think I was making at the time 7,000 to play Major League Baseball. And we went on strike. And the thing that, that I appreciate more than anything, and I still say that everybody should know who Kirk Flood is, who Kirk Flood was, what he did for the game of baseball. Because what we're seeing in today's game with the salaries and, and mainly the salaries is because of Kurt Flood and what he did, knowing, as he said to Marvin Miller, I want to, I want to challenge the reserve clause. And Marvin Miller said, you know you've never played a game of baseball again. He said, I know that, but it's important and he did that. That was in 72. Uh, my wife Carol went to work in 72 because we had no money. And so she, she went to work, and uh, she was a teacher by trade, but because we had hoped it was going to be short, a short period of time, she went to work, and I continued continue to work out. To answer your question, if pitchers are still pitching now, and we do not know uh, when the season is going to resume, if it is, let's hope it is, and you know, hope you know, everybody can play as many games as, as possible. Um, the pitchers are the most important. If the pitchers are throwing and their arm strength is continually built up, and I, I read an article that maybe you did also, Liam Hendricks, talking about I throw, he said, I throw year round. So for Liam Hendricks, uh, work stoppage, uh, a delay at the start, probably would not affect him. Uh, pitchers are the ones who come to spring training first, pitchers and catchers, to build up their arm strength. But in reality, those pitchers have done that at a period of time in the offseason to where when they get to spring training, they're ready to go, and, as, as as we see with games playing five days after everybody's reports to camp. But... Uh, I, Jerry Depoto, general manager of the, uh, the Mariners, said, I, I would rather have a larger roster of pitchers instead of taking a chance of hurting one of the pitchers. Now, you know, that's something that's going to come up. Um, how much time is missed is going to probably determine, you know, what the players are doing. Uh, D.J. LeMahieu stayed in Florida, and I don't know if that camp is still open with the Yankees, but he said, I'm going to stay here, stay in shape, and be ready to go when we do result. Um, other camps have completely closed down to where players went home. Do they continue to work? But I'd say that once they decide at a certain point that the game's going to start, probably a minimum of two weeks uh, to, get, to get guys ready to go. And, uh, you know, once it happens, they'll probably, whatever date they pick, they're going to make sure that all 30 clubs play the same number of games to keep it fair. And in the case of Liam Hendricks, uh, he said, I want to play 162. If we have to play double headers, uh, have play on off days, that schedule off days to make up games, we'll do that. And, and, you know, like I said, Scott Poros said play on Christmas, which I think is impossible. But, you know, you know let, let, let's hope that this whole thing gets resolved and, and baseball can resume uh, because I, I think fans love the game of baseball. Uh, the A's were looking forward to, I thought, and think, still think, a very good 2020 season coming up. Uh, there are teams, in the case of what Noah Syng- Syndergaard today, just found out he'd Tommy John surgery. I think of uh, Justin Verlander who had groin injury uh, surgery. Uh, players, Aaron judge, you know, players who injured Steven, Stephen Piscata, the A's with the rib cage injury. So players who have been injured and knew they were not going to be able to start on the opening day, which by the way, would be tomorrow. Um, uh, maybe those players teams can benefit a little bit, but I think it's going to require at least a couple of weeks to get players and everybody going again. Um, if, if the A's were to do it in, in Arizona, by the time they resume, it's going to be hot. Uh, so, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but work stoppages were different because once an agreement was made, then we knew when we were coming back. Under the circumstances that uh, the world is going into right now, we don't know that. We don't know when the commissioner of baseball is going to say, okay, on this particular date, we're going to resume. You know, what's it going to be like? So uh, they will need time because, unfortunately, time has elapsed. Uh, players were ready to get ready to play the game tomorrow, the opening day. That's not going to happen, obviously. And um, we'll, we'll see when it does resume. But there's they're going to need time because I don't think any club is going to want to send somebody out whose legs aren't in shape, whose arm's not in shape. Um, you know, it, 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 once the season does begin, and again, I'm hopeful that it does begin, that when it does, the pitchers will be ahead of the hitters, typically like the Arden spring training. And I think we're going to see that at the beginning of the season when it does resume
0: all right floss you're the best buddy be be safe and we'll talk to you next week county you're good man
1: cody you're the best commander cody and uh you know what i'm looking forward to when it does resume seeing you down on the field by the dugout with the commander in charge and you holding court and getting people on talking baseball and it's going to resume we just have to keep the faith and uh, keep praying for all those people who are suffering because of this uh this virus and Let's hope the world gets
0: back in shape and we can all get back to normalcy. Great stuff, Foss. We'll talk to you soon. You're a good man, Tony. Take care, my friend. And the best to all the A's fans. From one A's legend to another, Dick Callahan. Dick Callahan's one of the greatest guys ever. And I know you A's fans, you absolutely love him. And we thought we need to bring, a, bring him on because we haven't heard from him in a while. Here is the voice of the stadium, PA announcer Dick Callahan. The great Dick Callahan is with us. How are you, buddy?
2: Oh, I'm just having a terrific time. I can't tell you how excited I am to be sitting here, watching the paint dry in my condo. <laughs> it is what it is, right? It certainly is. It's it's an exciting time. It's uh, you know you used to think well you get up and you get going and you do all these kind of things and you keep a busy day and you have you have a great family and you're happy to be involved in things with them and you do some business things occasionally. Now you sit here and you watch the reruns of Law and Order, and uh, uh, it's, it's just wonderful. It's, uh, I've got everything done in my house. My condo in Rossmore is right now a perfect, perfect-looking condo. Everything is neat. Everything is clean. All the laundry that had to be done has been done. It's been great. But as you, as you did in your nice introduction, I have I have moved to another level, Chris, and I'm not sure – that I, that I might not be able to take this to even a greater level than that. How many people do you know do PA announcements at a Safeway?
0: I've never, I've, I've, uh, never heard of that. I think you may be the only one. Uh, it may be the honor, the first time in Major League Baseball history, that the announcer for a team is now doing announcements at Safeway
2: well that's what I was thinking too, and I you know i don 't have a, a great resource to try to verify that, but I have done two no hitters. I have done a perfect game i've done over twenty seven hundred games in all different sports between the the various uh, teams that i've that I've represented over the years, but i'd never done a Safeway before, and it was a, it was an absolute classic. I was looking for a certain type of milk that I drink that i wasn't able to get at the couple Safeways that are within five or six miles of where I live. So I went to the Safeway down in Alamo. And when I went in, this guy walks up to me and he said, excuse me, aren't you Mr. Callahan, the A's announcer? And I said, yes. And uh, he said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'm looking for a particular milk. So he went to look and they didn't have it. So he said, but what I'll do is I'll save, I'll get some. The next time it comes in, I'll set some aside for you. And I'll call you. You come down and pick it up. I thought that's terrific. That's that's customer service at the highest level. So he uh, he called me the next day and he said I've got I've got your milk. I said great. So I come down and I meet him in the back and he happens to be the he he and his his buddy happen to be the the uh, uh, guys who who handle the the booze. Now why I wasn't looking in the booze department I have no idea, but I was I was you know celebrating the milk and not, not worrying about the booze level. But anyway, he went back and found it, and he got it. And when he brought it out, he had a yellow pad with him. And he said, would you do me a favor? And I said, sure, what would you like me to do? He said, would you welcome our shoppers and tell them that we're having sales in the, in the alcohol department for both beer, wine, and, uh, and the other good stuff, and let's just come back and see either Mark or Chris. And I said, I'd be happy to do that. So one take. One take, got it done, and people came out. The manager came over. People were asking, is that, is that, is that who we think it is? We recognize his voice. So now I've, I've risen to another level, Chris, and I'm not sure what I have. I probably have to find some way to, to get adequate compensation for that type of effort. But you're, you're the master of doing those things. Do you have a suggestion for me?
0: I don't think they can afford you, and I think this, <laughs> I, 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 I think this might put you into Cooperstown. This might finally get you into the Baseball Hall of Fame.
2: Well, I, you know, I tried earlier this month. I was the MC for Moraga Baseball when they had their opening opening day, and, and uh, I was over there for the morning and introduced the players and had some great fun with that. And I live in I live in Rossmore. I think I told you that, but I live in Rossmore. And over the last couple of months, once a month, I'm doing the introduction to the new people who are moving into Rossmore to the various services that are available here. So the horizons have been broadened beyond belief, and. Uh, uh, you know, I think I'm going to have to sit down. I I, I think I need a rest after all I'm thinking about that. That's that's tiring.
0: <laughs> you know, in your li- in your in your lifetime, you've seen how sports heals, and especially the game yes. of baseball. Talk about what you've right. seen all these years, because every so often we have some horrific stuff happen, and it's really sports that help us get that relief from from
2: the bad news. Well, it's it's such a common denominator of people's abilities uh you know you've got people who cannot play various sports but they can they can umpire or they cannot play and they can score or they cannot play but they can do these things and and they can coach and they can be an assistant coach and you know how many fathers have coached their kids through various levels holy smokes these are these are things available to me that never would have been available um I mean, I had, when I played little little league baseball, I had two speeds and one of them was stopped. I mean, I had no speed whatsoever, but I was able to play baseball, but I always knew I wanted to be part of sports and boy, it has been a magnificent thing for me. You know, at at my age, uh, to have all these years of games and be able to have done all these things, it's, it's so rewarding and, and so inspiring to myself. I mean, I, I inspire myself to, to continue to want to continue to do it. So it's uh. But it's been it's been the outpouring of of events. Like I said, I think it's something like I think it's something like twenty seven or twenty eight hundred games over the years, and all different sports: football, baseball, basketball, soccer. You know, uh, and and now Safeway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I, I I people really don't understand how tough your job is. I I had no idea until when you had problems with your throat that I had to fill in right. for you and it really right. was like oh my god I you don't have time to go to the bathroom you don't have time really for anything you're always talking right. and you don't really like people think baseball is slow all you have to do is do PA for one game and you realize there's always something going on and you always have to talk about it
2: That's exactly right. And it, it's it's funny the the you know, we've had some games that went over nine innings and we had some games that went over 17 innings. We had a 19 inning game and the last 19 inning game that we had in the 17th inning, I finally had to give in and go to the bathroom because I can't, it's too far. The bathroom is too far from the, from that part of the press box that I work in. And so I went over all, I had a guy sit in and all he said was for the visiting team now batting. And this is at uh, two o'clock in the morning. He he said, uh, now batting and, and, batter went out and they did what they did. And I, the following weekend I was out on the promenade and a family came up to me and said, Mr. Callahan, will you take a picture with us? And I said, sure. And the guy said to me, he said, the other night in the 17th inning, did you go to the bathroom? And, and I said, no, cause I never do. And then I thought, Oh no, wait, I'm sorry. Yes, I did. I went to the 17th inning. I said, did you notice that? Oh yeah. He said, we we pay attention to you. He said, we know you're part of the game, and we, we listen to what you're telling us. And he said, and you had one guy come up to bat, and somebody substituted for you, and then you were right back at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I thought, wow, I guess they do pay attention.
0: Oh, let me tell you, my friend, the, the, when I filled in, the minute I did it, I started getting texts, what are you doing doing the PA? Where's Dick Callahan? <laughs> I mean, it was, <laughs> it, was a, it was on Twitter. People were texting me from inside the stadium. As soon as they heard my <laughs> voice, I went, what's he doing? Why is he doing this?
2: Well, speaking of your voice, you were so nice to what you did for me on my 1,000th game last May. When, uh, when of course it was it was such an evening of, of of unbelievable consequences. When you look at it and you realize that the game started an hour was an hour and forty five minutes late because of the lighting in left field, and then Fires goes and pitches a no hitter, and it's my 1,000th game, and you were part of it. So uh, I'm grateful to you. I always appreciated your friendship, but but it was such a great part for me to have. I have all my family and friends there, and they didn't postpone the game. I was grateful for that because I had people in from different parts of the country who were here to be part of the 1,000th game. And, and your testimony to me in the pregame was just so appreciated, and I'm grateful for you. Thank you
0: for doing that. Well, your friendship means a lot to me. And uh, stay safe, uh, stay inside, and then uh, maybe someday we'll be able to celebrate your great career in the grocery business.
2: <laughs> I can hardly wait. I think what they're going to try to do for me, Chris, is they're going to name a cart after me. I think that's probably what the next the next gesture would be. So they'd have a cart that somebody could push through the Safeway in Alamo that would be conspicuous by my name being on there, having been the only PA announcer exterior from uh, from, this, from the uh, management group that is at the Safeway in Alamo.
0: You are the best, my friend. We'll talk soon. <laughs>
2: Okay. Thanks, Tony. See
0: you. Well, that's going to do it for A's Unfiltered. I want to thank Dallas Braden, Ray Fossey, and Dick Callahan. Now back to A's cast, powered by TuneIn.
1: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.